Would you like to discover the fascinating and little-known story of how an unwanted wasteland was transformed into one of the world's greatest conservation areas? Then David Fleminger's book, A Hidden History of the Kruger National Park, is for you. David has also recently published a book on the hidden history of Namaqua land and the Rachtersveld. David is my guest now to tell me about his interest in uncovering South Africa's past. David, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Sharice. Lovely to be here. David, all these hidden histories, what is your fascination with this uh, uncovering South Africa's beautiful uh, past? Well, you know, I I like to know why. You know, for me, history isn't about the when. It's not about a bunch of dates or a, a bunch of dry facts. It's about why. Why do we have things the way they are? Why, you know, how did things come to be like this? Um, and, uh, I enjoy travel as well. So in my books, I try to combine history with travel so that when you do go to these wonderful places like the Kruger Park, um, you get a sense of the why. How did this all come about? Um, and in particular with the Kruger Park history, it's fascinating. Uh, and it's not the history that we're told. Um, like so many things in South Africa's past, um, you know, there, there are various versions depending on who's telling you the story. So uh, when I was doing a little bit of research on the Kruger, it kind of was showing me, well, hang on a second. No, this wasn't um, driven by Paul Kruger, the great conservationist. This came about for a whole number of other reasons uh, and a whole bunch of other characters, historical characters, uh, and the story that we tend to be given in the, the overviews is m- largely incorrect. So it's really a, it's a good story. It's an interesting history. And of course, it's a beautiful place. So putting them all together really enhances the experience for me. Well, let's just focus on the Kruger Park because it is so well known. It's one of the jewels in our country's tourism, local and international. And as you said, it's dotted full of interesting characters. How did you go about researching those characters and getting their stories? Um, well, the answer lies, <laughs> the simple answer is reading. You do reading and you get books and uh, you look at different perspectives because uh, the first thing they taught us in university when I did History 1 is always consider the source. Who is writing it? What is their agenda? What is their goal? Um, and the more I read, the more I realized that, yeah, th- this history needs to be somewhat revised. Let's put it that way. So the common story is that uh, um, Paul Kruger was the great conservationist, and he had this vision to create a game reserve in the low felt. The truth is quite different. Paul Kruger was a hunter. He wasn't a conservationist. And what was happening in the low felt is all the wild game had been progressively uh, hunted out and shot out by various uh, white hunters and colonial explorers and, you know, fortune seekers and that kind of thing. And the only place in the country where there was still a decent population of game was the low felt. But even that was now running out uh, towards the end of the 1800s. And Kruger's electorate, the people living in the area, were complaining. There's nothing left to hunt. So after a lot of prodding from other members of the Volksrat of the parliament, specifically R.K. Loveday um, and a couple of others, uh, Kruger finally consented against his nature, quite frankly, 
to establish a small area between the Crocodile and Sabi rivers, so that's the lower third of the park that we know today, uh, as a hunting preserve. The idea was to ban hunting for as long as it would take for the game animals to recover the numbers and then reopen for hunting. That was the proposal. It was a temporary ban to give game stocks the chance to recover. Um, they uh, tried to hire a couple of um, uh, uh, additional um, uh, game wardens, rather, to try and look after the place, but the game wardens weren't very good, and they were more interested in hunting than protecting the animals. And then after the Second uh, Boer War uh, in 1902, uh, a rather grumpy Scotsman name of James Stevenson Hamilton he was appointed warden of the park and for the first time he took the job seriously and even though he was a, a foreigner in many ways he really fell in love with the Lowfelt and its animals he called the park his Cinderella and he uh, really spent the next 42 years of his life as head warden of the park. And he fought off challenges from every angle. Land developers wanted to take over the park. Farmers wanted to take over the park. Mining interests wanted to take over the park. Um, and, you know, he kept getting confronted with this kind of attitude. But what's the point of keep looking at the things? What's the point of it? You know, th- this should be an economic resource. Um and he persevered, and he is the one who got the park expanded in 1903, um, and then again uh, several times later. And he's the one who really, really uh, persevered and got the park made into a reality. Um, I should also just quickly say that the park was consistently controversial until 1926, when the new Minister of Lands, um, after Jan Smuts's first stint in government, after Smuts was voted out the first time, uh, the new Minister of Lands was Piet Grobler. And Piet Grobler was the grand-nephew of Oom Paul Kruger. So Stevenson Hamilton and his colleague uh, Stratford Caldecott, an artist who had done paintings of the Kruger Park, he they came up with the idea to name it the Kruger National Park. Before it was the, the, sorry, before it was the South African Game Reserve. And they said, let's name it the Kruger National Park. And all of a sudden, all opposition fell away. Everybody loved the idea. Everybody loved the idea of honoring the great Paul Kruger, etc. And within a matter of months, all the opposition was cleared and the Kruger Park was declared in 1926. Um, so, you know, it's funny little stories like that that get us to where we, where we have Today, one of the world's great nature reserves. David, you know, I've read so many different books, stories written at the time about Kirk, you know, I think of Jack of the Bushveld and Volhutter and all the rest. Um, did, did you go back and read those stories at the time and try and incorporate them? Um, I did to an extent. Um, there are a lot of accounts of the Kruger Park, you know, a lot of the early rangers, they call them the first guard. Uh, they, a lot of them wrote their memoirs. I did very much read Stevenson Hamilton's two, uh, well, he wrote several books, but I read the two main ones, um, South African Eden and The Lowfelt, It's People and Animals. And although they are dated, they certainly show, uh, for the time, a much greater degree of sympathy for conservation and understanding of conservation. Uh, I also read part of uh, Harry Bolletter's book, and uh, because, you know, you can't tell the story of the Kruger without telling the story of Harry Volata and the lion um, who chased him up a tree and that whole 
that whole uh, very famous anecdote. Um, but I did not read a lot more of them because, you know, the the Game Ranger stories and those kind of personal accounts, they covered. A lot of books have been written about those. And it wasn't my intention to repeat them or to rehash those stories. This was a, a intended as a popular history, an overview, a story about how the Kruger came to be. So where necessary, I, you know, added some color, but really it was about what is the, uh, the through line? How did the story take place and how did all these characters play their roles? A bit of a fun question, David, just because the Kruger is so beautiful. Did you write it at the Kruger or did you write <laughs> it in your home in Joburg? Oh, if only, Sharice, if only I could have spent a few months in the Kruger writing my book. That would have been lovely. Uh, no, I, I did several uh, research trips to the Kruger and then I came home and I sat in Joburg and I did my research and I read the books and, uh, you know, writing takes a long time. And as much as I would have loved to sit in, you know, in the, in the environment and in the atmosphere with the sunsets and the trees and whatever. No, sadly, I sat in my, uh, in my suburban Joburg house <laughs> and I had to dream of the Kruger as I was writing. Um, obviously the books are sold at Kruger. I know I saw it there myself, which is kind of what prompted the interview. Um, what has the reception to the book been? Uh, the book's reception has been generally very positive. I have had a little bit of pushback um, from a couple of fans uh, because I do come down quite hard on the hunters. The hunters were the ones who um, exploited the reserve in the early days and to, you know, push the animals into into uh, a state of near local extinction. So uh, the pro-hunting lobby find, finds me a bit harsh. Also, I don't like Jock of the Bushveld as a book. I think it's an awful, awful book full of racism and full of um, cruelty to animals and just like really wanton hunting for the sake of hunting. You know, it. I didn't like the book. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. So some of the jock aficionados <laughs> didn't like it. But generally speaking, the response has been great. People enjoy the story. It's meant as a popular history. It's not meant as a as an academic lecture or anything like that. It's meant as a readable, entertaining narrative that just happens to be uh, true. And then, David, let's turn now to the Rechtersfeld in Namakwa land and the daisies there. It's um, quite at opposite ends of the world, as it were. Uh, yes, it is, and um, no less beautiful, by the way. I mean, that part of the world is absolutely stunning. It's remote. It's harder to get to. It's far away from Joburg. Uh, there are no easy flights in. It's a long drive. But, wow, is that a, a different a different planet. It, it really is a different planet. And the impetus for that came about, I have to go a little bit back in my own personal story, um, I was commissioned to write books on several of South Africa's world heritage sites. Um, quite a long time ago now, and those were published as small pocket guides. And they were great, and uh, I enjoyed writing them. But um, then it was time to revise, because, you know, even history changes. That's the thing we don't seem to understand. As new research is done, and new uh, books or new uh, voices uh, are are promoted, you kind of get a fuller understanding of certain things. So history does change. And I decided I was going to update my World Heritage books, of which uh, one of them was Richtersfeld, because that's a World Heritage site. So um, I decided I would update them under my Hidden History uh, brand, so to speak. 
And uh, the first one I did was Namakoland and the Richtersfeld because it is a very interesting story. It's not as concise as Kruger because it's a much bigger area and it's uh, developed in different ways. But there's so many interesting stories from the copper mining up in the north uh, down to the funny characters and and you know uh, the the drifters who drifted in and out of the Namakoland coast. Um, and the Richtersfeld itself, which has its own very interesting history of diamonds and diamond mining and modern social history about the, the diamond, the claim to the diamonds that was awarded to the local community and how that's been going. So all really interesting stuff. Um, and, uh, I felt it deserved, uh, a, a, a book of its own. And going forward, when I get time, uh, I will update some of my others, including Robin Island. I want to update uh, Mapungubwe, uh, the site to the north of, uh, just on the border with Zimbabwe, which is a fascinating, fascinating place to visit and some of the others. So it's an ongoing project. Um, and, uh, I enjoy them. I enjoy the stories. I enjoy the history and hopefully it'll enhance people's travel experiences. Now, just kind of my last question to you about, uh, Namakwaland and Richtersfeld. What did you find there that was hidden that you didn't know before? Well, that we as the reader didn't know before. Well, um, most of it's hidden quite rightly. You know, it's such an unknown part of the world, uh, and it's such a remote part of the world that unless you either grew up there or spent time there, there's very little you know about it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I found the copper mining very interesting, uh, especially since most of those copper mines are still there, but inoperational. And the old railways they built down to the sea and the, the pioneers who came into this very difficult environment and, and, uh, formed their, uh, formed their communities there. Uh, there's also a very interesting story about the, um, uh, I don't want to say the colored people, but the colored people who moved into the area after being exiled from their original homelands. Um, and the, the communities they built at Extian, Fontaine and Kubus which are just the most remarkable places to go and visit. It's, it's, it's another, it's a place out of time. It's so far removed from our Joburg in, uh, existence. And the whole area is hidden in my mind. And it's so worth checking out, uh, if you can, especially during flower season, which we've, which has just passed because to see those barren fields just overflowing with flowers, uh, it's a, it's, it's remarkable. It's a, it's a site you won't forget. Um, for a long time, and uh, I think it deserves, as a region, deserves to be promoted more. And I think we've omitted to say that you're a professional photographer, so you are able to capture the images of everything you talk in such an incredibly beautiful way. So if anybody would like to get those books, David? Yes, absolutely. Um, the way to get the books is on Take A Lot. They are available on Take A Lot. Just search for my surname or the Kruger book is called Fair Game, A Hidden History of the Kruger National Park. And the Namakwaland book is More Than Daisies, A Hidden History of Namakwaland and the Richtersfeld. They are available uh, at Take A Lot, through Take A Lot. They will deliver copies to you. Uh, and the Kruger book is available inside the Kruger Park at all the Kruger shops. And that's been selling quite nicely. Unfortunately, I cannot get them into exclusive books. Um, simply because uh, it takes too much uh, paperwork to deal with exclusive books. And as a solo publisher, um, I don't have the time. So unfortunately, it's not available exclusive, but please do look them up on Take A Lot. 
And you can buy them on my website, I beg your pardon, uh, za. And there's a shop on my website, and you can buy them there, and I'll send you a copy. I'll even sign it for you. How's that? That sounds absolutely amazing. And it's worthwhile visiting your website just to see the beautiful pictures as well. So, David, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Cherise. Love to chat. That was David Fleminger, who has written two recent books, A Hidden History of the Kruger National Park and A Hidden History of Namaqualand and the Rachtersvelt.